starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So reads God's holy and erring infallible word. Please be seated, church. I want you to imagine for a second with me. Imagine that God was to ask you. And he came to you and said, I will do one thing that you ask. What? do you desire? Now I want to be clear real quick before we go too far into this. God is not a genie in a bottle or, you know, a, a Santa in the sky. But just imagine, play along with me, that God appeared and said, one wish. What do you desire? Anything. You don't have to shout out your answer, but I want you to reason within yourself, what is it? What is it that you would ask of God? Just this one thing. Lots of different answers, I'm sure, in here. Lots of different answers. You know, in, in history, we look back and we look to the scriptures. This actually happened to King Solomon. And we see in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, where it reads, The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. What do you think the king would ask for? Think about some of those things that went through your mind. Things that you would ask for. What is that primary thing that you would desire? And we see verses later in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Solomon says, Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? What Solomon asked for, church? was wisdom. He asked for wisdom to discern good and evil. Think about how important wisdom is. Solomon, we know, chapters later in chapter 10 of 1 Kings, chapter 10, verse 24, it says, the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. Wisdom. Sadly, many of us don't think about that very often. Sadly, we don't think about wisdom. Many of us will think, what should I do and how should I do it? But as we started off this book of James, you guys remember how he started off? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask who will give to him generously. Wisdom. Wisdom is so important. As a matter of fact, if we look at the Old Testament, 300 times we see the word wisdom or wise referenced. A hundred of those being in the book of Proverbs alone. Speaking of wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 3, it's referring to wisdom. 
Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Wisdom. I want you to stop and slow down for a second. And when was the last time you called out to the Lord for wisdom? Because we live in such a fast-paced society, we just go. And we try to figure it out when we get there, like, I gotta figure, nope, that didn't work, let me try something else. Instead of stopping and asking God for wisdom. If you remember the way the book of James begins, James starts with trials. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us have gone through trials? I'm guessing all of us, and if not all of us, well, hold on, because you're going to go through them. And then he goes through temptation and speaks about temptation. How many of us have been through temptation? I'm going to say 100% of us have been tempted. And he goes on and on all the way through last week where we said about the tongue. We need wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 through 9 says, The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She'll bestow on you a beautiful crown. What are we speaking of? Wisdom. Understanding. Church, this morning as we get into this study, know this. Wisdom matters. Wisdom matters. But we have to be sure to have the right wisdom. You know, people define wisdom differently. Some people proclaim their own wise self. I am the most wise person here, they would say. And they trust in themselves. This morning, we're going to look at what is the right wisdom. So starting back in our text this morning, in James chapter 3, verse 13, our first point, if you are taking notes this morning, is the right wisdom exhorted. So James is going to start out with an exhortation in verse 13. Again, it reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You guys, remember, if you've been with us through the book of James, you're familiar with the book of James, you know what James' argument has been. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works and the last example that we just studied before this was the tongue. That whatever comes from the heart flows through here, all the way out through the tongue. Now he says, besides your speech, your actions demonstrate whether or not you have godly wisdom. Now James' original audience would have understood wisdom as the skill in living righteously. Wisdom, the skill of living righteously. 
He says here, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This word meekness can also be translated gentleness. It's an adjective that's also or often used of a wild horse that's broken and then is useful to its owner. Meekness refers to being willingly under the sovereign control of God. Willingly under the sovereign control of God. Now I want you to think about that and let that resonate for a second. Do we intentionally submit ourselves to the will of God and to His Spirit? As believers who have been sealed with His Spirit, are we intentional at submitting ourselves to His Spirit? That's meekness in wisdom. Not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, many of you are familiar with the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, he said this, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's submitting yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. It is a type of wisdom that we need. James continues after this exhortation and says, look, you need to show by your works that you're walking in wisdom. He's going to flip it and show us what the right wisdom is not. In verses 14 through 16, if you're taking notes, we're going to see the right wisdom contradicted. The right wisdom contradicted. James chapter 3, I'll read it again, verses 14 through 16. Everybody holding on? Because this gets a little more convicting now. Here we go. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Look at that tail end again of verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Do you think that's a good thing, church? No. And as we see words like that, they should jump off the page to us and make us think, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid walking in unrighteousness? How do we avoid every vile practice? And the answer is walking in the right type of wisdom. But here, the warning is selfish ambition. You know, those of us that have kids or grandkids growing up in this day and age, you know what we're teaching them? To be all about themselves. To be puffed up in themselves. To be about me, myself, and I. To look out for number one. And we're doing them a great disservice. Instead of pointing them up to God who is in control, the sovereign Lord of all, we've told them that they are like a little God. That they should be puffed up and adored and honored. Now don't get me wrong. We cherish our children. We respect our children. We love our children. But we're always to point them to God. To God. James chapter 3, verse 14. Let's go through the section together. Again, I'll read. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
What's James doing? Causing his audience to do a little bit of inspection. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, so what do you think we do when we read something like that? Examine ourselves. Because for the believer, these things should not exist. They should not be something that is a habitual thing in our lives. We shouldn't be known as that resentful person or that bitter person or that jealous person or that person that's all caught up on themselves. If we've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we've gone from darkness to light. That the testimony and the witness of grace to others is not about us no longer being jealous or bitter or resentful or selfish. James says here, do not boast and be false to the truth. Some of you know previously what he said in chapter 1, verse 22. He said, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Why? Because you're deceiving yourself. If someone only proclaims to be a Christian, but there's no evidence of the fruit of them being a Christian, James says they've deceived themselves. Here again, he says, look, if the only type of wisdom they have is earthly, is unspiritual, is demonic, he says here, then it's false. It's no faith at all. So what do we do with that? Again, the examination for ourselves, are we constantly resentful and jealous towards others? And if we are, the scriptures declare our faith is dead. That's not a good thing, church. That's something that should cause our ears to perk up, the warning that comes from here. If we're solely driven by selfish ambition, which means fixed on, you know, those three people, me, myself, and I, if that's what I'm fixed on, James warns, my faith is dead. It's dead. We see just the opposite of what should happen in the life of the believer. We see just the opposite in Scripture of what should happen through the power of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition. All right, stop. What do you think that word nothing means in Greek? I think it means a little bit in the Greek, like the, something changed in the translation from the Greek to the English here. No, it means what it means. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to think about that for a second. My fallen, depraved flesh doesn't do that automatically. It automatically reverts to me. But greater is he who is in me. And it's the Spirit of God, greater is he who is in you, that allows you to submit to his Spirit and be about others and not about selfish ambition. Church, James puts out a strong warning. I love what one commentator said. He said, look, if churches preached like this today, no one would show up. Well, we're working on that, I guess. I don't know. Um, so it's the truth. James just lays it out, and it's the reality. But some people say he's so harsh. I want to feel warm and fuzzy. I want to feel good. But the reality is this is loving. To tell somebody the truth is loving. Not to coddle somebody in their sin and walk them right into hell. But to tell them up front, look, if your life doesn't produce good fruit, 
it's probably because the genuineness of your faith is not real. That's a loving rebuke. It's not harsh. It's a reality. This is love. The Apostle Paul lays it out this way in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Speaking of God, he says, He'll render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Boy, nothing warm and fuzzy in that. But it's truth. The truth is, if we are here this morning and God has drawn us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, He has regenerated our hearts, given us new desires. That He's taken us from darkness and made us light. And that should be outwardly evident. That a life that was once all about me, myself, and I is now about the glory of God and the good of others. Look, I don't care how hard you try to do that. You can't do it unless it's from within. Unless there's a change from within. Look, it's the end of January. Some of you still made a New Year's resolution, and I'm guessing by now it might be over. If you try it in your own strength, those don't happen. But when you obey God through the power of His Spirit, He will do it for His namesake, for His glory. Sadly, we see that men and women like to walk and do as they see and fit. As they see fit, excuse me. We see in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You know, there are people that read the words of James. They know it's scripture. They know it's inspired by God. And they go, oh, well, I'm moving on. I think I'm a good person. I think I'm doing all right. I try to do good. What does that proverb say? There's a way that seems right to a man, but in, its, in the end, it's the way of death. That's it. James continues in this contradiction of the right wisdom, verse 15. It says in James chapter 3, verse 15, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. You want to talk about James not holding any punches? Do you remember what he said about the tongue? It's set on fire by hell. And here he's saying, this is demonic. The same thing that sets the tongue on fire is the same thing that sets a worldly or earthly wisdom on fire. Earthly here. This so-called wisdom is focused on the stuff of the here and now. It's focused on the stuff that every philosophy and wind of doctrine that goes around but not on true wisdom that's from above. We spoke recently in a Bible study about how many people go for self-help. Have you ever been to a bookstore? Have you ever been to the self-help aisle? Tons of books. Do you know what kind of wisdom is in those books? Earthly. And people like it because they go, well, it makes me feel good. Or, you know, it actually works. It's earthly. It has no eternal value. James says it's unspiritual. It's generated in the depraved hearts of fallen mankind. 
And yet we even have proclaiming Christians that go and buy these books and know it's earthly and know it's unspiritual. Church, we have to be so wise. We didn't know what the right wisdom is. But if that's not enough, early and unspiritual, it says it's demonic. Demonic. Just like the tongue was set on fire from hell, bitter jealousy and all selfish ambition finds its origin in hell. How does that sit with you? That's a hard reality. Nobody likes to admit that. They're just like, oh, I'm just doing my thing. Well, if I'm just doing my thing apart from God, you got one or the other. It is either influenced from up above or from here and now. And anybody know who the prince of the power of the air is? Satan himself. Satan himself. This is why we see in Scripture, in Proverbs chapter 28, the beginning of verse 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a Notice that silence right now. You know why? Because how often do we do that? We have been given the inspired, holy, inerrant, infallible words of God. And yet how quickly do we go back to think, oh, I got this. I can handle this. I, I know this one. Or I heard on TV this great counsel or this great wisdom or read in this other book. Oh, yeah, it's not a Christian book, but, and we go and tell people about it. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. You know, it's interesting because many of you, I would even guess, have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Some people would even say that's their favorite verse, verses in the, in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Right? That's familiar. I've seen it on like little mugs and shirts and bumper stickers, and it's all over the place. But how many of us actually do that? How many do that? Do not lean on your own understanding. Here's the best part about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Most people just stop with those two verses. How many of you are familiar with verse 7? Probably not many. Most of you probably memorized 5 and 6. Verse 7 is so important. Following verses 5 and 6, Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Well, how come that's not on bumper stickers and, and mugs and, and shirts and everything else? Well, that's not as warm and fuzzy, is it? That, that commands a little bit more. To be not wise. Do you know how many times we see that in the Bible? Be not wise in your own eyes. Why do we have to be told that over and over and over again? Because that's what we revert back to. We go back to earthly wisdom. James is going to encourage us in what the right wisdom is. Point number three is the right wisdom defined. So it's going to be clear that we know the wisdom that comes from God. And we see this in verses 17 and 18. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Keep that in mind. First pure. Then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, 
impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's first what? Pure. The word pure, it means holy or set apart. And this wisdom is holy because its origin is God. Think about that for a second and contrast it with the purity that is earthly. Excuse me, the purity that comes with earthly wisdom. It's all about selfish ambition. It's all about self. One comes from God. It's about God's glory. It's about his holiness. And the other one is about me. Pure. Think about that. When I have wisdom, it should be something that is holy. Remember, wisdom, skilled in walking righteously. Keep that definition in mind. It is also peaceable. This word means free from worry. Wisdom from above gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Christian, have you ever been through a trial, a difficulty where God has given you a peace that surpasses understanding that the world looks at you and says, why aren't you freaking out? What is wrong with you? Aren't you worried? Because you should be worried. And you go, I don't know. God's got this. There's a peace. God's wisdom. Sadly, those who have earthly wisdom never experience that. Never experience that. Wisdom is also gentle. It means it's gracious. It has the idea of, of yielding to another. Again, quite different than being jealous and having selfish ambition. It's open to reason. It means it's compliant. It's obedient. Obviously about God's will, obedient to his will. What's earthly wisdom about? My will, right? Exactly. Godly wisdom, the right wisdom, is about him. It's full of mercy. I want you to contrast that for a second with jealousy, bitter jealousy. I want you to contrast that with selfish ambition. Full of mercy. That means quick to have compassion, quick to forgive. It's focused on the good of others. Unlike worldly wisdom, that's full of resentment and jealousy. You guys see there's a great contrast between the two? One is something that we can never conjure up on our own. I don't care how long you go to your room and just meditate on it. I want to have good wisdom. Unless the Spirit of God empowers it and enables you, it doesn't happen. Unless God has filled you with His Spirit, it's not going to happen. It's full, James says, of good fruits. Good things, not evil things. Everything that results from it is good. Think about that. How often do we make mistakes that later we realize, man, I should not have responded that way? whether it was a trial, whether it was a temptation. But if we would only ask of God, God, I need wisdom in how to respond to this trial, or God, I need wisdom in how to respond to this temptation, only good comes out of it. The fruit that comes out. The right wisdom is also impartial. It shows no partiality. It treats everyone equally with God's love. It's sincere, which means it's without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Let love 
be genuine, we know the Scripture says. God's wisdom is not hypocritical. How about this statement? I don't know if it's on the slide, but wisdom from above leads to obedience without regret. Wisdom from above leads to obedience without regret. Lastly, James refers to here is a harvest of righteousness being sown. It means good fruit comes out of genuine faith. Church, if you were to look in the mirror and take an assessment of the fruit that comes off of you, if you were a tree, are you a good tree bearing good fruit? That's the picture James is painting throughout this letter. It's from the very words of Jesus himself. Or are you a bad tree bearing bad fruit? Because as Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Right wisdom from God is empowered by his very same spirit. John MacArthur put it this way. Some of you saw it in your bulletins. Submission to the Holy Spirit is the sure mark of a Christian's wisdom. Sit and think about that for a second. Submission to the Holy Spirit is the sure mark of a Christian's wisdom. How often should we submit to God's Spirit? All the time. Easy answer, right? That was simple. Don't answer this one out loud. How often do you submit to God's Spirit? What happened between the two of those? Why the disconnect? Because intellectually, the answer is easy. But to put it into practice, what James is speaking about throughout this letter, that our faith must be seen in action, that it has to be a faith that has produced action. We must see what comes out of it so that it is genuine. We're encouraged to walk in wisdom by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Stop there for a second. Anybody know who Paul is writing to? Believers or unbelievers? He's writing to believers. And as he writes to the believers, he says, wait, stop, slow down, and look carefully how you're walking. Church, I'm going to jump out there and just say, we don't often do that. We just go about living life. And that's why the scriptures are there to remind us, slow down. Look carefully how we're walking, not as unwise, but as wise, and making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, look at this part, what the will of the Lord is. How many of us do that? How many of us slow down and go, God, I just want to do your will. God, help me to abide in you. Give me wisdom, God, how to respond. Are you here this morning and maybe you've got some kind of turmoil going on with an individual, a family member? Did you ask God for wisdom? God, give me wisdom. Maybe you're fighting through a temptation. It's a struggle. Have you stopped and just turned, God, give me wisdom how to work through this? God, help me to flee from evil, to run to you. Give me that wisdom, that skill of walking righteously. 
We all here possess some type of wisdom. The question is, what type of wisdom do you possess? Is it the right wisdom, the wisdom that's from above? Or is it the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic? And church, I don't think any of us ever want to admit that. That sounds really bad. We don't like to give ourselves that kind of assessment. But the hope and truth that we have in the scriptures is we don't have to stay there. That there can be biblical change in our lives through the application of walking in the truth, being empowered by the Spirit of God. The reality is the kind of wisdom that a person possesses will be revealed by the kind of life that they live. The kind of wisdom that a person possesses will be revealed by the kind of life that they live. Okay, so if that wasn't hard enough, let's go to some little personal questions. I want you to think about those closest to you that know you the best. Could be a spouse, could be a family member, could be a friend, co-worker. How would they describe the way you live? No one shout out any answers, please. But how would they describe the way you live? Would they say that your primary focus is yourself? Or would they say your primary focus is God and others? Why don't you stop and think about that? Those who know you the best, how would they assess you? I had one person tell me one time, if there was a camera in your house that the church got to watch, they said, would God be glorified or would the church be horrified? Because the reality is, we all can come together on a Sunday morning and speak, you know, that language called Christianese. Hey, God bless you. How you doing? Great. And they're out. You could have just drove in, been yelling at somebody in the car or cutting somebody off on the street. But you get here and all of a sudden, think, hey, everything's great. Church, you know what that's called? It's called hypocrisy. It's putting on a mask. That's what the word means. But what's down below? What do others know? How would they describe you? Because the reality is, if right now you're saying, well, they probably would say I'm more selfish than I am about God, then there's hope. But we cannot go on saying, well, I already knew that, and I still know that, and tomorrow I'll know that, but there's never going to be any change. You have to seek the application. You have to seek after wisdom. Remember the proverb we started with? Seek her like gold. Man, if I told you there was a million bucks buried in that grass right there, you'd be digging feverishly down in that ground. But we say there's wisdom. Seek after it. You go, eh, I'm good. I'll continue doing my thing. God says, if you need wisdom, ask of me. Psalm 110, when we talk about the need for right wisdom. Psalm, one, excuse me, Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Okay, break that down. Many of you knew that the beginning of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. What does that mean? What does that look like? Because he, the writer here says, those who practice it, put it into action. Look, a lot of us can agree to a lot of theology. It's right there in Scripture. I know it. I agree with it. But what does it look like in our lives? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it must be put into practice. We read in Job chapter 28, verse 28. Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Church, are you seeing the application? It's to turn from evil. To turn from evil, to turn from God, to turn to God. That if I know that I have been selfish, that my ambition is all about myself, Scripture describes it as demonic. Guess what? Evil. I need to turn from me and turn to God. But I need wisdom to do that. I need to cry out to God and say, God, give me the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. Church, do you have this type of wisdom? The skill of walking righteously. Again, James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if you lack this wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it generously to you without reproach. Do you believe him? Because James up to this point has talked about trials, and we're all guaranteed to go through trials in our life. And when you go through a trial, a trial is either an opportunity to grow closer to him and be more like Christ, or an opportunity to sin against him and rebel. And when the trial comes, we need to be quick and say, God, give me wisdom that I might not sin against you. James then talks about temptation. Temptation is the same thing. I can grow in Christ's likeness, be tempted, yet not sin. Or I can give in to it. But do I cry out to God, God, give me wisdom that I might not sin against you. James goes to example after example, be impartial. Well, I kind of like that person. They're funny. That person's not funny. I'm going to spend more time with that person. God, help me to love that person just the same, just as you love everybody. God, give me wisdom. James speaks about the tongue. God, right now inside, I feel emotion building up. It's not feeling good. God, help me. Give me wisdom that I might not sin against you. The words that come out of my mouth might impart grace to the hearer. Friend, if you're here this morning, you say, well, that was all nice about wisdom, but I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Here's the good news. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity, if the Holy Spirit would draw you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that you can turn from yourself and turn to Him. That instead of hoping that you might be good enough, which the Bible says you can't be good enough to inherit eternal life, instead of thinking, well, my good outweighs my bad, which God says is nonsense, he says the best that we could do on our own are like filthy rags. Nothing is oppressing him. So much so that do you realize the reality of our sin, God would demonstrate his love to send his son to die in our place. If I could earn my way to heaven, why did Christ have to die? Because I can't do it. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is this morning that Christ died on your behalf. That this morning you can turn from self and turn to God. That this morning you can choose to flee from sin. And you say, well, Pastor, I've tried that before. I've tried to run from sin, and I ran right back to it. Run to God. Cling to Jesus, and he will keep you. He will help you to abide. Your focus, your aim is Him and Him alone. This morning, 
If you are in this place and you do not know Jesus, this morning I urge you, I plead with you, turn this morning in repentance. Turn to Jesus Christ. Place your hope, your trust in Him. Jesus Himself said, it is finished. Meaning the sin that's going to cost the wrath of God to fall upon you has fallen upon Jesus. The whole penalty for your sin. That there's no more, well, I hope I sneak in. But instead, I've placed my hope and trust in Jesus. Jesus is my way in. And as you do that, bless you. And as you do that, know this. Trials, temptations, difficulties will come your way. But now you have a resource like no other. That you have the Holy Spirit. You have a God who loves you, who will help you walk in a way that is pleasing to Him. Let's pray together, church. Father, as we continue through this book of James, it has been one heavy message after another. And God, we know that you are a God who is loving, a God who is kind, a God who is patient. We know that you are a God who desires that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Father, I pray in this place this morning that if through the words that have come from your holy scriptures have penetrated the hearts and mind of an individual or individuals in this place, that this morning they would turn you to you in repentance. They would turn from their self and their pursuit and turn to you, God, from their ways to your ways, that they would run from evil and pursue you instead. God, that they would place all their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, that they would have a hope that they would have assurance of eternity. God, I pray that you would work in their lives and take them from darkness and make them light in a way that is genuine that others would see the transformation. Father, I pray for the rest of us in here this morning. Father, we profess the name of Christ. We profess a belief in Christ. We have seen that James has already told us even the demons believe and tremble. God, we pray this morning, oh God, that if our lives have demonstrated earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, that this morning, oh God, you would forgive us. God, that you would grant to us repentance to turn to you to live out wisdom that's from above. That our lives would bring you glory and honor. God, we know that you were able. We thank you in advance for working in us and through us for your good pleasure. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.